Great. Well, um, well let's like, oh, wait, uh, oh, we didn't finish Brandon. No, I just, I took it personally. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, my name is Brandon Bennett. I'm also a new Episcopalian. I'm on staff here at the Advent. Uh, I've been here since April, I believe, since Easter, actually, weekend. Um, I'm young adult and college minister. Um, that's all I got for you, so. Brandon's teaching session two yes, next I'm week. Yes, next week. So if you don't show up, <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll know. Okay. Well, is um, it my turn? Yeah, I think it's your Hand turn. Hand the baton. Uh, uh, I'm Matt Schneider. I'll be your teacher this evening. Um, one of the ministers here on staff at the Advent. Um, I have a wife named Holly who's in Atlanta, Georgia, right now at a photo conference. She's a photographer and. So I'm taking care of my two girls for the first time three days by myself with them. So um, they're with a babysitter tonight, so we're doing this. <laughs> Basically, I've just sort of, um, I've, uh, what do you call it, outsourced the uh, parenting for the next three days. Tell them real quickly about where you just moved into and what... Uh, well, I live downtown um, on First Avenue South, um, uh, right at Railroad Park. Um, I do a lot of... Uh, ministry primarily because of my interest uh, pertaining to downtown Birmingham and the sort of creative economy that's bubbling up right now um, through Birmingham's revitalization efforts. Um, and uh, yeah, I love Birmingham. We've been here a year and a half and um, gosh, it's such a great town. I had no idea. I hadn't set foot in the state of Alabama until less than two years ago, um, but we really love it here. Um, let me say a prayer uh, before we start, and the prayer pertains to what I want to talk about. Um, so maybe you zone out when somebody reads a prayer normally. That's okay if you do that today, but if you, if you have it within you, uh, let the words speak to you. Let us pray. Almighty God, who seest that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves, keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body, and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That is, by the way, uh, the, the uh, the collect for the third Sunday in Lent. And a collect is a a fancy word for a type of prayer that usually comes toward the beginning of especially our communion services, but within the context of a worship service um, uh, that collects, that gathers the, the sort of thoughts or emphases uh, for the day. Um, and the line in there that I really like, uh, which sounds kind of miserable, uh, but I like, and we have to talk about today is, Almighty God, who seest that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. And you might disagree with that <laughs> because the rest of the world is basically saying the opposite, isn't it? I mean, the rest of the world is sort of teaching um, self-helpy kind of projects and um, that, uh, you know, that you can, that you do have all the power, at least some power to, to help yourselves. And yet today what I want to talk about is how the Christian message, especially um, as the Advent understands it, and we think that it is true, is that we really do have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. And therefore, we need not just a, li- a little help from our friends, as the Beatles said, but complete help from the friend of sinners, who is Jesus Christ. Um, and so my scripture reading to um, frame our discussion uh, comes from the end of Romans chapter 7 and the very beginning of Romans chapter 8. Because what I want to do today, and I'm afraid I'm going to scare you off, but, uh, but I have to do this because I think I've got to sort of dig the hole before we can fill it back up. Um, so please come back to week two and three. If this alienates you, know that it's just a third of the message and that uh, the, the good news will be uh, proclaimed to you in very comforting ways the next two sessions. Um, but um, so this is the bad news and the good news. The good news comes at the end, but the bad news is especially honed in on with Paul's letter to the Romans here at the end of chapter 7 where he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I uh, do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law, and he's using law a different way. This word is basically what he's saying. I find it to be a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, exclamation point. Who, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Exclamation point again. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then chapter 8 begins saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of that was bad news until the very end, the last uh, couple of verses. And you might have gotten lost in the sort of permutations of how he uses law two different ways and, and all that. But uh, hopefully at least you kind of got the gist of it. There are certain things that I want to do, and sometimes I do it, but for the most part I find it really difficult, and then I don't do it. And there are certain things that I do that I hate, and I try not to do them, and yet I keep doing it. Do you resonate with that? I mean, do you have a pulse? Um, because uh, that is the uh, predicament, um, the, the, the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that we are uh, the... Um, by the way, the, the, um, the sort of title for today is Human Nature and the gospel, mostly human nature. Uh, and the theological term for human nature, um, and you don't really need to know this, but I'll say it anyway, is anthropology. And you've heard anthropology used another way, but in systematic theology, that word means, well, what about people? Um, what about people? I think we need to start there. Um, we need to start first and foremost with you um, and not Jesus Christ. We'll get there. Um, but you need to kind of know the, the question that uh, is being begged for which Jesus Christ answers um, in his uh, life, teaching, death, and resurrection, his incarnation. Um, so, so today I want to talk about us. You know, what about us? What about human nature? What about anthropology? Uh, what about sinners? Um, and so the, the bad news is that we are worse sinners than we ever imagined. Um, but the good news is Jesus Christ is a greater Savior than we could ever imagine. So let me say that again, that the bad news, the bad news, good news, is that we are worse sinners, that our anthropology, our, our humanness is worse than uh, we ever imagined or might usually think of. But the great news is that Jesus Christ is a greater Savior um, than we uh, could have ever wanted to imagine um, had we thought it up ourselves. Um, and so I have a, a sort of um, packet for you tonight. Um, let me make sure I keep one of those. If, by the way, if you're, I made 20 copies. It looks like we might have a few more than 20 people. If, uh, if you're married or engaged and sitting with your betrothed or spouse, why don't you just take one and, and share it um, tonight? Um, just take a look at the, the cover there. Um, this was in uh, February and March of uh, the New Yorker magazine. And do you know, do you, does anybody know, can you remember the name of the guy that the, is the New Yorker mascot? Uh, but, the, but this is him. This is him looking at, like a hipster. You can see that by his hat and his face. And the butterfly is always there, right? And the typical New Yorker logo. So this is the New, York, New Yorker guy. He has a name. I forget what it is. And he's like a, a millennial hipster here with tattoos looking at his uh, probably iPhone. Um, 
And uh, the thing that's great about this is the, you could say it better than I, Brandon, the, the, the Latin phrase for original sin, how do you say that? Is Oh, incurvatus in se? in se is the Latin phrase for original sin, uh, birth sin, uh, the, the sin that dwells in me that, um, that uh, Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7. And I saw this and I thought, incurvatus in se. Oh my gosh, this is it. Because really what that says is curved in on oneself, navel gazing. Uh, and so here is a 2015 now to 2016 sort of depiction of uh, original sin. So I'm going to say a lot of words to you tonight, and I'm going to read a lot of things. Um, and I find that difficult when I'm in your shoes to listen to a lot of talky, reedy. Um, so if, if, uh, if that sort of goes over your head a little bit, just remember this, that um, there's an image for you. This is what we're talking about here. Um, and so let me tell uh, you some stories and read some things to you. And the reason why I want to read so much tonight, by the way, is um, because I want you to see that I'm not making this up. That it's a part of our tradition, the Episcopal tradition, although a lot of um, churches, unfortunately, have lost uh, what I'm going to say tonight. And it sounds too much of a downer for most Christians. Um and it's not only from our Episcopal tradition, it's in the Bible, and other theologians talk about it. Uh, and so I'm just sort of harnessing them. Uh, this isn't just Matt Schneider uh, talking about these things. Um, so that's why I'm reading a, a lot to you. And you can take this pack at home and, and read it over again. The first thing there um, is uh, from a book called The Gospel According to Peanuts, Uh which was uh, super important in my faith life. Um, I read this book when I was 26, I think. And I had been on a seven-year faith journey trying to figure it out, including reading the Bible and getting hung up in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, and then skipping around um, and reading other things, including C.S. Lewis, which who really did... Speak to me. C.S. Lewis was kind of the John the Baptist paving the way for um, Robert L. Short um, to finally speak to me in profound ways. And I read this book. I bought it at a Barnes and Noble in Bethesda, Maryland, and went across the street that afternoon to a Cosi Cafe, C-O-S-I, which is kind of like a Panera Bread. And I read this book that's 125 pages in one sitting and became a Christian. <laughs> and the reason why is because of particularly this one chapter called The Whole Trouble, Original Sin. And there's so much more in this book, but once I got to this chapter, he pulled the scales from my eyes about who I am, and then I was able to hear everything else. Uh, and so what he does, as you see in the photocopy here, is he juxtaposes Peanut's comic strips with the things, the arguments that he's trying to make. Um, so go to the very right-hand corner at the bottom of page 33. Uh, this is within that context, so he's really getting at what original sin is about. And he says, It is important to make clear that original sin does not refer to any immoral acts or evil deeds we have ever done. It is pointing to something much deeper than specific deeds because it refers to the basic origin or motive behind everything we always do. In other words, we are not sinners because we occasionally sin, but we sin occasionally because we are always sinners. Sins is only one of the ways in which sin can manifest itself. Um, sorry, I'm really inept at this whole like photocopy staple thing. You kind of have to find page 34. Uh, the whole trouble then lies in who we are, basically. Or to begin with, and then he quotes Charles Schultz. Lucy says, discouraged again, eh, Charlie Brown? You know what your trouble is. The whole trouble with you is that you are you. And then Charlie Brown says, well, what in the world can I do about that? And Lucy says, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. I merely point out the trouble. <laughs> the doctrine of original sin also means that man's will is in total and complete bondage to sin. As an example of the 
uh, doctrinal expression of this view, the Book of Common Prayer puts it this way. Now, let me push pause because uh, Robert L. Short, the author of this book, was not an Episcopalian. He was a Presbyterian. And here he's quoting um, from our uh, traditions. Now, dang, I've lost the page. Um, Book of Common Prayer, um, which I meant to bring copies of in here tonight so you can look at um, when we get to this, but I forgot to do that. But if you go in the morning, you see these books in the pews, and we, our worship uh, comes from this book. Even when we're using bulletins, it's, we've, we've, we've taken from this book. And the very back of it is, um, and, and you see that uh, in the, the liturgical part is a little bit larger font, when you get to the historic, what they're called documents, there's the 39 articles, which is in like six point font, which I think is unfortunate because um, this is in the in our tradition's history, reformational history, hearkening back to England in the 1500s. Um, this was the closest thing we had to uh, a short, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, statement of faith. Um, what are they called? Um, um, like the Reformed tr- uh, Confession, Confession of Faith. Like a lot of Reformed and Lutheran traditions have a, like uh, the Heidelberg Confession. The 39 Articles was our closest thing. And the Advent still holds to every jot and tittle of the 39 Articles. Uh, at least our parish does. Now, some other places disagree on certain points, but we look to this and say, yes, there is truth here and very pithy statements. And golly, look at he's quoting the Book of Common Prayer, or not just the Book of Common Prayer, really the 39 articles stood on their own and we, we put it in there. <clears throat> so the part which, by the way, is right here, Article 9, which you can't see, of original or birth sin. And he quotes saying, The condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength or in good works to faith and calling upon God. Wherefore, we have no power to do good works, pleasant and acceptable to God, without the grace of God by Christ preventing us, that uh, we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will. Uh, preventing, by the way, there is, uh, is uh, proceeding before, basically, is what that word meant. Um, but probably the most famous uh, biblical expression uh, for the captivity of man's will in sin is found in Romans, where the wretched St. Paul writes, and let's just go ahead and read this again. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, for I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I delight in the law of God and my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the, the, the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And so, in the following cartoon, Lucy almost manages to out-Paul Paul at this point by not only saying the same thing in so many words, but she also is again able to point up the entire business in uh, her well-known graphic manner, this time to the wretched Linus. Lucy says, this Linus is a picture of the human heart. One side is filled with hate, the other side is filled with love. These are the two forces which are constantly at war with each other. And then Linus says, I think I know just what you mean. I can feel them fighting. Um, and so uh, so I, I stopped there with the gospel according to Peanuts. Um, and uh, I, you know, it has a, I mean, it does. It, it, it shows you what the book is, but it almost does a little bit disservice because you see that cover and you think, this is silly. And I kind of did too, but I was at Barnes & Noble. And actually, by the way, I have a master's in English and I was teaching at a university. They let me teach a literature course on comic books. Um, my, my, I was like one year out of graduate school. and I had this proposal and they thought that was so interesting. They let me do it. And so I was totally into comic books at, the, at that moment. But I was also trying to figure out... Uh, 
the, the ways of the world. And so I'd find myself in the Christian inspiration section, which is terrible, usually at Barnes and Noble. And this book caught my eye. But I commend it to you. It actually, uh, it, it actually as you see here, um, it, it, it does a good job juxtaposing these, um, these cartoons with very profound and truthful statements, especially here about the, um, about the whole trouble with us, as he said it. And I remembered that line. It just put an indelible mark on me, the whole trouble. When I think about original sin, the whole trouble with you, Charlie Brown, is, and I'm Charlie Brown, is you. Um, half of me is at war with the other half. Well, we read uh, Article 9 and his quotation of the um, 39 articles on original birth sin. Let me read the the shorter follow-up statement, which is Article 10 um, of free will. Because this is the question that inevitably comes up. Um, If I have no power in myself to help myself, well, does that mean, Matt, you don't believe in free will? Kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. I mean, I, I believe that I can pick this glass up and drink it. You know, I have, um, I have um, an ability to do things, um, but uh, the, 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 my, I don't have an entirely free will in terms of uh, at my deepest level uh, being able to, in a sustained way, uh, be who I want to be and do what I want to do, that even my good deeds are tainted by this sin nature, and that's unfortunate. And so the, um, the articles anticipate that question about free will and say, the condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and good works to faith and calling upon God. Wherefore, we have no power to do good works pleasant and acceptable to God without the grace of God by Christ preventing us that we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will. Um, and, uh, and so the, 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 the theological phrase to explain this is that our wills, it's not the opposite of free will. It's not that we're uh, completely unable to do things. It's that our wills are bound. Our wills aren't free, they're bound. We have a will but they're bound up. And so it's not a 180 degree opposite. It's, a, it's more like maybe 90 degrees or something uh, in that even when I try to like sometimes do a nice thing, and maybe you felt this way before, that I have an ulterior motive, you know? Um, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's, uh, you know, then you don't see that because you see this ex- external, these external niceties, but inside a wretched man that I am, you know? And, and so even my, my, my good works are coming from that place of wretchedness. Um, And so uh, to convince you of this, let me read also. And by the way, I'm I'm going to our prayer book because I'm also not only trying to give you this theology, but acquaint you with the tradition a little bit and see where these things uh, come to bear in our own Episcopal tradition. Um, Consider in our uh, communion service at the very beginning this prayer that we pray uh, every Sunday, it's called the collect. Remember I said what a collect is, a prayer that gathers thoughts. Now this one's prayed every Sunday. This is called the collect for purity, which says, and this is a scary prayer. I mean, really think about what this prayer is saying and, and what this would really mean for your life. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, uh, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. Let me just read that first uh, uh, sentence to you again. I mean, this is the kind of thing we read it on Sunday, we're just like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, right? But just really pay attention to what this is actually saying. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, and even yours, heart open. Like, do you remember Indiana Jones when the guy... Uh, do you remember, if you didn't see it, the, the sort of witch doctor like goes to the guy and takes his heart out and holds the beating heart in front of him? Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, um, uh, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. 
like just every single stinking thing about me, even the things that I forgot or don't like, that I want to ignore, that you know I want to sort of escape from, that I've conveniently forgot uh, or lie to myself about. Jesus Christ, uh, God knows those better than I do. Um, the the one thing I love uh, to talk about in terms of illustrating this is, um, do you know those like digital scrolling marquees? with the red letters, the ticker kind of thing that goes across. Now imagine that right here we had one of those scrolling marquees and uh, it was Sandy Blaylock's thoughts. <laughs> for the last, twenty, you know, Brandon Bennett's thoughts just for the last hour. You know, I mean, in the last half hour they've been thinking, oh, what is this guy talking about? You know, I mean, but in the last 24 hours, you know, your thoughts up there. Would you want to be here? <laughs> well, um, God sees the scrolling marquee um, and uh, the, the inwardness, the, the deeper sin nature, that sin isn't just about particular actions or activities, that sins, actual sins, or bad fruits of a, of a fouled up vine, you know? And that's what sin, generally speaking, is, is is that every part of me is tainted by this and therefore produces things like the really bad, crazy thoughts um, that, that are up there, you know. Um, and so that's the colic for purity. We think about that, you know, well, that's a great prayer to pray when we're going to worship. You know, there's no more kidding now. This is on page one of the communion service. It's a great place to put it after the opening acclamation. Uh, is to just open it up, you know, the chest, the, the heart pulled out of the chest and, and put it before God. Um, and so uh, that is um, from, from, uh, from the Book of Common Prayer. Let me uh, read to you something similar um, from uh, a uh, Lutheran theologian, actually. Uh, this book is the same size as that one, but very difficult to read. Um, called On Being a Theologian of the Cross, Reflections on Luther's Heidelberg Disputation, 1518. Um, and uh, if you like really heady theological stuff, we sell this in the bookstore. But um, all you need today, though, are, are two pages from that book. And not even the whole two pages. I'm going to read some excerpts uh, from that book, which if you find what says page 16 uh, from On Being a Theologian of the Cross... He, in the book, uh, is analyzing a, uh, a statement that Luther made back in 1518. Martin Luther, the theologian, for whom Lutheranism is named, German uh, uh, minister and theologian. Um, so uh, Gerhard Ferdi is the author's name, is, is, is sort of expositing uh, this Heidelberg disputation in this book. These, um, I think it's 30 some odd theses that are really short. Um, and he basically makes a distinction that all people, all people, everyone, uh, are theologians. And, and what that means is we all think about um, God or gods, um, uh, whether we like it or not. You know, uh, As soon as you do that, that makes you a theologian. And most people are what he calls theologians of glory. But Christianity, in its truest sense, is a theology of the cross, which is the opposite. Theology of glory is all about power and victory. It would say that you have absolute free will, that you have power in yourself to help yourself. Whereas a theology of the cross would say you have no power to help yourself. But, but Jesus Christ is right there. In, that, in those darkest, uh, wretched places and, and doing his best work. And so I think that's a helpful sort of distinction for understanding, for, for understanding all that I'm trying to get out in terms of our human nature and how we operate and the ways that we think, the assumptions that we have. And that um, a lot of secularism, and I, and I love pop culture, don't get me wrong, and, and art and things like that, but a lot of the stuff that's out there in the world is basically a theology of glory. Uh, it, it's not, it might not even be Christian, but it's a theology of glory is what Gerhard Faraday and Martin Luther would say. And a lot of Christianity, unfortunately, that's why I said 
most books in the Christian inspiration section are bad, but this one was good because a lot of Christianity that's out there um, that I push back against is actually a theology of glory. Um, it's not a theology of the cross. So let's listen to, to what Faraday says here. Look at that where it starts with the bracket there on page 16. Uh, a theology of glory, uh, dot, 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 uh, operates on the assumption that we, that what we need is optimistic encouragement, some flattery, some positive thinking, some support to build our self-esteem. Theologically speaking, it operates on the assumption that we are not seriously addicted to sin and that our improvement is both necessary and possible. We need a little boost in our desire to do good works. Of course, our theologian of glory may well grant that uh, we need the help of grace. The only dispute usually will be about the degree of grace needed. If we are, quote, liberal, we will opt for less grace and tend to define it as some kind of moral persuasion or spiritual encouragement. If we are more conservative and speak even of the depth of human sin, we will tend to escalate the degree of grace needed to the utmost. But the hallmark of a theology of glory is that it will always consider grace as something of a supplement to whatever is left of human will and power. I hope you're able to follow that. Um, um, that basically uh, uh, theology of glory, whether it's on a sort of conservative theological spectrum, both theologically or political or whatever, uh, is is about um, is about a little extra something. Remember, I quoted the Beatles, or it was really better when um, what's his name saying saying it, uh, uh, Croce. Um, I get by Jim Croce. I get by with a little help from my friends, which was the opening song to that show. Dang, what's the show? Wonder Years. Um, basically, a theology of glory saying I get by with a little help from my friends. From my friends, uh, and maybe the Beatles were talking about drugs. Um, <laughs> maybe, um, but uh, but maybe not. You know, um, maybe they were just saying, you know, I get by with a little help from X Y Z dot dot dot. You know, whatever it is, whether it's uh, from this end of the ideological spectrum or that end, methodologically, it's the same sort of idea that you need a boost, you need a supplement, you need a cheerleader, you need some encouragement. And therefore, grace, theologically speaking, in Christianity, becomes a means uh, toward an end and not an end in and of itself. Whereas on the other hand, the theology of the cross says with grace, it is finished. And so let's flip the page and read about on uh, page 17, Theology of the Cross. Theologians of the cross, however, operate quite differently. They operate on the assumption that there must be, to use the language of treatment for addicts, a bottoming out or an intervention that is to say, there is no cure for the addict on his own. In theological terms, we must come to confess that we are addicted to sin, addicted to self, whatever form that may take, pious or impious. So theologians of the cross know that we can't be helped by optimistic appeals to glory, strength, wisdom, positive thinking, and so forth, because those things are themselves the problem. The truth must be spoken. To repeat Luther again, the thirst for glory or power or wisdom is never satisfied even by the acquisition of it. We always want more, precisely so that we can declare independence from God. The thirst is for the absolute independence of the self, and that is sin. Uh, well, um, so uh, what, what am I trying to say here? Um, are you tracking with me? Um, I hope you're not, like I said, I'm really worried about this sort of reading at you because I'm a visual learner uh, and not an auditory learner. But I hope that these words are, are illustrating for you the, the predicament and uh, starting to illustrate the solution uh, with the theology of the cross, which can sound like a downer. I, can, I understand that, uh, but uh, I, I, I want to I think of... Uh, Christianity, and, it, and what I think is its kernel of truth, uh, 
is um, is uh, is uh, sort of downbeat optimist optimism. You know, I mean, it, it acknowledges the reality, and yet there's hope. Um, whereas the th theology of the glory is just a packet of lies, really. Uh, and so it might sound like the, ha the glass is half full, you know, um, but it's lying to you. You know, that 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 statement is is actually lying to you. Uh, because, you know, for example, like you could go to a, 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 a place which is, whether it's a church or somewhere else, which is all about encouraging you and cheerleading and, and, and you getting by with a little help from your friends. You can go to that place for a while, say just a round number, like three years. And then one Saturday you have a miscarriage um, or you uh, foreclose on your house um, or you uh, are fired uh, and weren't expecting it, um, or your spouse dies. And then you go to that place, whether it's a Sunday at church or your self-helpy club, the next day, do you want some encouragement? I don't. Uh, I want somebody who's going to paint the reality and its answer and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that he meets us right there. Uh, and the, the honesty about that uh, suffering. And most of us, most of the time, aren't going through foreclosure and miscarriage or inability to have children or, uh, you know, uh, getting in a car accident and not having car insurance or, or whatever. Usually it's the sort of steady, slow drip of the, the suffering. And so still I need to hear that message um, uh, of the cross. And uh, not Joel Osteen. If you have any Joel Osteen on your bookshelves, I recommend you burn it. Um, uh, there's only <laughs> uh, let's have a book burning of uh, Joel. If you don't know who I'm talking about, uh, if you're watching Oprah Winfrey, um, just stop it. <laughs> Unless you want um, someone uh, to, to 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 be giving to be pulling the wool over your eyes, as it were. Uh, and that's not to say that every single thing about those people is, is, is wrong, but the sort of um, the overall sentiment is, is typically off. Um, I can't remember what it is, but Joel Osteen just came out with a book like a year ago or so, and the title just totally flies in the face of everything I'm saying. It's like, oh, you can and you will. Uh, you, you can and you will. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? Um, and so uh, I bring it, uh, at least this this uh, section of what I'm talking about to close with a story because a lot of this has been kind of a little bit uh, heavy on the theology. Uh, let's put this uh, this theology in, in practice with a, a story from literature. If you turn to the next page, which says 23 at the bottom, this comes from a, a book called the, the Hammer of God, which again is from a Lutheran um, uh, um, there, there, there's no statement, and that is just that's uh, where I was drawing from today. But he uh, was a Lutheran uh, bishop. I think it was Sweden. Is it Sweden? Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, and, and a writer, and he wrote this uh, book, which is a, like three vignettes about ministers in the same area of Sweden. And all of them sort of start out usually as young, sort of blinkered uh, Ministers who have no clue whatsoever. Um, they just don't get it. They're theologians of glory. They're not theologians of the cross. And something happens. Um, something happens that, that changes. They basically have a conversion experience within the context of their professional ministry life. And this happens actually more often than you would imagine, that uh, people go into it for a certain set of reasons, <laughs> and find out that's not working, and then life kind of takes them by surprise, and they actually have an authentic, born-again Christian experience in the ministry, and their ministry completely changes. I've seen it happen before. And so that's what these stories are about. And here's one where there's this guy named, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Savonius, and he's this sort of young, straight-out-of-seminary minister, and he goes on a pastoral call where uh, a guy is dying. He's on his deathbed, like going to die imminently. And he's sort of just coming and he uh, gives him a bunch of sort of trite platitudes. And uh, it's just falling flat. 
Um, and, uh, and he's not reaching this man who's really suffering, especially about the state of his soul, because he's about to die and hasn't been a sort of church-going Christian. Although he started that way in life, he's deviated. And so he's really worried about that. You know, what's, what's going to happen to me after this? But this older woman named Katrina comes in, basically is like, get out of the way, kid. You know, I mean, get out of the way, reverend so-and-so. Um, this is someone who, who does get it. And listen to this dialogue between Katrina and uh, this man, Johannes. I imagine that's how you pronounce it. He, Johannes is the guy who is on his deathbed. Johannes says, so that starts with the bracket down there. Katrina, it was good for you to come. You are kind, Katrina. God will reward you, and me he will punish. So will he be exalted and declared righteous in all his judgment. But it will go badly for me, Katrina. Why is it not as it used to be? Do you remember when we sang the old songs from the songs of Moses and the Lamb? Then my heart was glad in the Lord, but it never became clean. Katrina, I am a sinner, a great sinner. And then she says, Yes, that you are, Johannes, but Jesus is still a greater Savior. Um, I think I said, um, skip to the next page, but uh, <coughs> that was from sermon notes at one point. Uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and keep reading, actually. Go back to the bottom of 23. The sick man breathed heavily before answering. He seemed to be going over something in his mind. Yes, he is a great savior for those who let themselves be saved, but my heart is not clean. My mind is evil. I do not have a new spirit, the new spirit. And then Katrina, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He comes not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yes, Katrina, but it reads to repentance. It is repentance that I lack. She continues, You do not lack repentance, Johannes, but faith. You have walked the way of repentance for 30 years, Johannes, and still not attain to it. Katrina, Johannes, said the woman almost sternly, Answer me this question. Do you really want your heart to be clean? Yes, Katrina, God knows that I want that then your repentance is also as true as it can be in a corrupt child of Adam in this world. Your danger is not that you lack repentance, but that you have been drifting away from faith. What then shall I believe, Katrina? You must believe this living word of God, but to him that worketh not, but believeth to him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness." Upon, up to this day you have believed in works and looked at your own heart. You saw only sin and wretchedness because God anointed your eyes with the salve of the Spirit to see the truth. Do you have sin in your heart, Johannes? Yes, answered the sick man timidly. Much sin, altogether too much. Just that you should make clear, uh, just that should make clear to you that God has not forsaken you, said the woman firmly. Only he can see his sin who has the Holy Spirit. Do you mean to say, Katrina, that it could be a work of God that my heart is so unclean? Not that your heart is unclean. That is the work of sin. But that you now see it. That is the work of God. Uh, but, but why then have I not received a clean heart? That you might learn to love Jesus, said the woman, as calmly as before. Um, and then it goes on to talk about um, the, 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 the minister in the corner. We don't need to read that, but if you skip down to where there's that vague arrow. Uh, what do you mean, Katrina? I mean, Johannes, that if you had received a clean heart and for that reason had been able to earn salvation, to what end would you then need a Savior? If the law could save a single one of us, Jesus would surely not have needed to die on the cross because the law worketh wrath. And God stops every mouth by his holy commandments, that all the world may become guilty before God. The sick man had become perfectly still. Uh, his sister fan flies from his face, except for that no one moved. Have you anything more to say, Katrina? Yes, one thing more, Johannes. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He lay quiet a moment, 
do you mean? Do you really mean that he takes away also the sin that dwells in my unclean heart? Yes, he atoned for all that sin when he died in your place. But I still have it with me, don't I? Yes, as surely as Paul also had it with him. Have you never read? I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. Yes, that's how it is, whispered Johannes. That is the way it has always been for us, and this is Katrina talking, and for all others. With his stripes we are healed. He is the propitiation for our sins and also for the sins of the whole world. The sick man lay breathlessly quiet. Then he whispered, One more word, Katrina, a sure word, and I will believe it. The woman got up quietly, took the Bible that lay on the table, and sat down. Opening the Bible, she read, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen, I believe, said Johannes, in a voice that could barely be heard. Katrina rose and replaced the Bible on the table. Now God's work has taken place. Now you must ask the pastor to give you the Holy Sacrament. Uh, well, I don't, you know, I really don't have much more to say. I mean, that's, so I, I will ask this question, though, is uh, you're all going to die. Um, uh, uh, there's uh, is this jo- Josh Whedon, I think. He's the guy that does Pixar movies. He did a, um, a uh, commencement speech. I forget where it was. Some hoity-toity place uh, up in the Northeast. And he started it by saying, you're all going to die. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, because commencement speeches are usually a place of theology of glory um, where it's just all about um, uh, um, encouragement and you know, follow your heart and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, there will be a day where you're in Johannes's place. And this is a piece of literature written by a theologian. That's dangerous territory because it can seem like, um, you know, just sort of using it as a, a sort of a, I don't know, sort of an inauthentic way to kind of get theology across. But I think he really was doing some good work here with this literature. This is an excerpt from a pretty brilliant book. Um, And this is a man who really, not just a theologian, but he was a pastoral minister. He was a bishop. And so he had interactions like these with people, the guy, the author. And uh, so you'll be like Johannes one day. I will too, by the way, uh, you know, dying. Um, Do you want Savonius with his trite platitudes? Or do you want Katrina there? I certainly want Katrina there holding my hand. I mean, if all my family is a bunch of Savoniuses with platitudes, if I never met Katrina a day in my life before, I want her there holding my hand and saying that stuff to me. Uh, and so why wait till then? You know, I mean, that uh, is the message uh, we need to hear day in and day out. And so the, the, the final uh, question, uh, which is usually the, the first question, for this um, newcomers class when we do the nine-week series is what makes the Advent the Advent? What makes this church what it is? Um, well, it's a gospel-centered church. Um, it, uh, it's trying to get at what Katrina was harnessing there at that deathbed uh, every Sunday from the pulpit um, and in our uh, both our teaching ministry, but also... Uh, in the sort of nine to five, Monday through Friday, day in and day out, uh, the things that we do come from from this place of uh, being convicted. And I'm not just talking about the ordained ministers. I'm talking about our lay leadership. Um, I'm talking about I'm talking about you. You know that 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 this is a that we've been convicted by this message, and so the ministry of this church flows out of that place. Um, that we need to continually hear this message of grace and mercy uh, given to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean in, in, the, in the day-to-day life, you know? Um, and uh, so the, the final thing I'm going to hand out to you is um, our, our magazine. If you, if you haven't gotten a copy yet, um, please take one. If you, if you do have one, um, uh Feel free to take another and give it to somebody who needs to hear these words, <laughs> because um, 
the magazine is, uh, it'll, it'll be an annual publication. Um, and really, you're the target audience. You really are. I mean, when we, we created this publication, we wanted to, we had this sort of question of, how do we, what do we tell people who want to know more about the advent? And as the, I'm the editor of the magazine, and, and uh, what, I, what I try to do in the editorial process is not just tell you what the advent's about, but to show it, to demonstrate it. Um, and so hopefully this is something that you can sort of take home and, and have on your nightstand um, or uh, in the rack next to your toilet um, or <laughs> in your purse when you go on an airplane. <laughs> uh, I really, I did, when I was thinking that, I was like, what are some things that people might want to read on the toilet? Um, so, um, so uh, but um, there's, uh, if you turn just to page 79, you know, most most of the magazine is content, artwork, and uh, creative written pieces, but the very back third uh, is where we finally get to some brass tacks about the church itself, and that's the this first statement on page 79 is about the Cathedral Church of the Advent, um, and uh, we I guess it, you could call it a mission statement. I mean, I don't know if it really is. This is sort of our closest thing. We have this fourfold mission statement that the Advent has a heart for the gospel, which is the message that I um, tried to proclaim to you, primarily by digging the ditch first and then trying to fill it with the good news, and that we have a heart for those who have not heard this message. Um, we have a heart for those who have been burned by the church. Uh, a lot of people have been burned by churches that proclaim mostly a theology of glory uh, because... Uh, it can be a very cruel message. Um, it's kind of like Heath Ledger's Joker with a smiley face painted on it, usually. If you've seen the Dark Knight series of Batmans, you remember Heath Ledger? That, I mean, that's the Joker I usually imagine, it's just this, this uh, uh, disfigured face and the, the smiley face painted on it. And that, that message, through the course of time, has burned people. And I know it because I talked to tons of people uh, who've been burned by messages of a theology of glory and need some words of comfort um, because they're truly heavy laden. And so, and then finally, we have a heart for the city of Birmingham. Um, we are a downtown uh, church and um, we're one of the first five churches in the city of Birmingham. Uh, and we are placed here by God in this time and place uh, to both proclaim this message that I bring to you today and to, to work out of it. And hopefully that affects the lives of the very particular people who are right here in the city of Birmingham. Um, so uh, that's all I got to say. We have 10 more minutes, right? Are we going to? Yeah. Okay. Any interaction, um, questions, answers, concerns, comments, jokes? Uh, I kept thinking <clears throat> when you first started about you know, what we had liked, what we really liked. And uh, I'm just really grateful and thankful that God doesn't show it to me all at once and make me work. He <laughs> <laughs> one thing, and we might work on it for a year. Seriously, I mean, not a year, but, but then he'll then he reveal something else. Then I'm like, really? And then, then I'll confess it and mm-hmm. realize that's true about me and I have been keeping it from under there somehow. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's real interesting how he will reveal another area that I need to be aware of. He sure. can do the work, but I have to stay aware of it and yeah. conscious of when it rears its ugly head, whatever it is. And it, it's usually facets of the love, love directly, especially. It's kindness right now. And I realize I'm not a kind person. So this year's going, I'm not going to work on this. <laughs> <laughs> so that that like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, I am. Oh, yeah, I am kind. And he showed me I'm really not. Deep down, kind. I've always been kind when it suited my 
Well, that and that really is the distinction that we're trying to set up between s- sins and sin nature is um, that that deeper level. We can be externally whatever we want to kind of try to put a mask um, that's covering not the the internal place, but eventually it'll rear its ugly head. It is so exhausting, right? To go on pretending, but it takes such great vulnerability to um, to be honest. Um, uh, but the, the the good news is that um, God can handle that, um, and uh, every single one of us is in the same boat. Any um, uh, yeah. speaking of sin nature, I think a lot of people get caught up on that when they think about. So you're telling me we're born sinners, and it's like no, we're not born sinners. We're born with a sin nature. We're not born sinners. But we have the we have the bent towards mm-hmm. sin, yeah. you know, and so a lot of people can't, and that's that's correct. I can't wrap my, you know, yeah, we're not born doing something, you know, being selfish. It comes in time. It come, you know, all these emotions come in time. And uh, oh, my daughters demonstrated that pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> within the first couple days. <laughs> um, uh, yes, and it, I mean, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if none of you come back, you know, because like everything that I've said and I've read really is, is not what the world's saying. And so um, uh, a lot of people don't want to hear this. Um, they think it's uh, pessimi- pessimistic. Uh, they don't want to hear it. Um, and, uh, you know, really, I, I think as I've, I've reflected about this a, a lot as a, as a pastor, what I'm usually up against are, I, I mentioned this earlier today, what I'm usually up against in terms of trying to get across the Christian message is platitudes. That I'm really up against, or, or just sayings. I'm up against things like, even things that are Christianized, like God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. Um, most of the Bible demonstrates that clearly. But that statement is attributed often to Benjamin Franklin, but you probably heard it from somebody else. Um, or, uh, you know, I mean, give me, give me some, you know, some things that you, that you hear, or just the, the jingles of, um, of uh, what's, the, what's the Burger King slogan? What is it? Have it your way, you know? Um, well, what is that saying? I mean, it's saying that you deserve these things, um, and you've got to ha- you got to have it your exact way. Uh, that my parenting is a battle of wills of my daughters, often over food. About like I put a- a- apple preserves on my daughter's toast this morning, and she didn't want that kind of jelly. She wanted she wanted it her way, you know. And I thought, gosh, I mean, I've heard back in the day you couldn't say that, you know. You just sort of ate what you you ate your lima beans and liked it, you know. Um, but uh, so I just feel like I'm what what I'm really up against in getting this message across is a world that's saying that the glass is half full and you ought to, um, you know, how can you say that people are all people are are deep down bad? Well, another platitude is, uh, well, he's a good guy, and I usually respond if there ever were one. And nobody gets what I'm saying; it goes over their head. But I really mean it when I say, if you ever say that to me, my usual knee-jerk reaction is if there ever were one, and I say it with a smile um, because I try to be a nice person. But I'm actually, honest to God, trying to tell the truth to anybody who's saying that to me because. That is actually something that we're up against. The world is saying, he's a good guy, she's a good girl. Good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Well, yes, but there only was one good person. (laughs) And he did the heavy lifting for us. Because if that weren't true, then we'd all be doomed. Um, And gosh, that is a countercultural message. And as a matter of fact, Jesus Christ was crucified for that message. Matt, what do you say about confirmation? What are your thoughts on, like, we, we sprinkle the water in our church for christened, and then the Baptists run out and they're, they're you know, they're immersed entirely. And christening is, uh, or baptism is, is for an adult's confession. They're giving themselves over. What, tell me about your thoughts. On confirmation particularly? On christening and confirmation in light of 
how the other denominations do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that we quibble over some of these things much more so than we need to. Um, I think that you think God's actually like, well, that person wasn't fully dunk. They weren't fully saturated. So, you know, no soup for you, you know. Um, uh, no, I think God, primarily God's working uh, through all that's happening there, including the words that are said. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The gospel is being pronounced to this person along with the water as really is a sign. It's signifying what's happening, that, that uh, God's doing the work. It's by his grace. And whether that's through full immersion, which is great. Um, actually, our prayer book makes provision for both uh, uh, full immersion or, or or other means like we typically kind of uh, like good sort of uh, Victorians you know we want to be neat with our little silver shells you know we don't want to we don't want to we avoid the messiness of baptism is what we're doing when we sprinkle um, but it's our tradition that's what we do it and God works through it by golly I'm convicted of that you know I don't think God's up there sort of um, uh, nickel and diming us about whether or not we're doing this the right way but confirmation and I, I feel like I'm on good authority to say that it is optional. That it is not, um, it is not a sacrament. It is sacramental in nature, and that is signifying the grace. It is um, hearkening back to our baptism. Um, but I think it's a good thing. You know the saying, um, um, uh, all can, some must, or whatever it is, you know, I mean, um, so uh, all can, and that's a good thing, to make a public profession as a, as a, um, as an adult or older person uh, of your faith, that's a, there's nothing wrong with that, that's a real good thing. I don't think you receive an extra dose of the Holy Spirit, though. I do not believe that. Um, it's just a, another ordinary means of grace, basically. Um, and uh, the, the main thing, though, is, is the baptism itself. I hope I'm answering your question uh, a little bit. And so I'm so glad you all are here because, you know, if you were confirmed in, in seventh grade, this kind of probably went through one ear and out the other, right? I mean, and so um, to come back to this as a mature thinking adult, um, that's great. It's super duper. Any other? Yeah. So, um, kind of like the, the last book that you were reading from. Um, so it means that does, doesn't everybody just get to go to heaven? Because, I mean, if, if you really don't have free will and, and God can find the good in everybody, then I, I don't know. I, just, I feel like lots of times I'll hear from people and they say stuff like, well, if you don't open your heart to him, or open your heart to him, or you know, everybody that's Jewish is doomed, and everybody that's this, you know, other religion is doomed, like, it's just, I, I don't know, I have a hard time reconciling that yeah. in my head that, totally. that, that God is, is ever-loving, and we don't really quite have free will, and, you know, like, mm-hmm. whatever. Yes. I'd love to take a pass on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I would say you're coming from a place of compassion that's really important. I would totally resonate with. I mean, I don't want people to be damned to hell, you know? I mean, um, and so I would say that, like, I am not a universalist, but. I would hold out in terms of like universal. Everybody is saved. Nobody's going to hell. Everybody's, um, you know, going to be reconciled with God. Um, uh, but I would hold out for it. I would hold out hope that there is a future possibility for universal reconciliation with God. Um, because if all of us are in the same boat, um, you know, actually my heart is closer to Hitler's than it is to God's, you know. And so that's the typical example. People go, well, what about, you know, Stalin and Hitler or whatever? Or what about the good people like Gandhi, you know? He wasn't a Christian, but he's good. Well, that's an e- that's just sort of a cop-out, I'm afraid. And so I'll just go back to where I started and say, well, what about you, you know? I mean, I'm a half step away from being a genocidal maniac. <laughs> I swear to God, you know, I mean... I think uh, we all kind of are a half step away from doing some really uh, 
crazy things. These hands can be uh, instruments of creating beauty, and they could also create weapons of mass destruction. Um, and uh, so I'm further away from, from God than I am from some of the most evil uh, villains in our history. Uh, and so if I look at myself, I would say, oh, well, I hope there's hope for me. You know, I mean, uh, if, if universal salvation includes me, <laughs> I really hope that, that all people will be reconciled. But the path toward it. I'm afraid in the New Testament is Jesus Christ alone, um, and um, and so that means that the, the the bad news is we're all doomed, we're all hell bound, all people since Adam and Eve are hell bound, um, and the intervention, the good news came uh, through Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, that's, that's the path. He, he does the work and not us. Um, and so uh, I hope I'm answering your question because I think that that's actually, that, that actually is, that's comforting because it doesn't depend on me. Um, it, it depends on him. Um, and my, I don't want to put activity in this. The closest word I usually come to is my sort of acquiescence in it. You know, my sort of, because acquiescence is such a passive active thing. You know, my, my abiding in this truth. But even that comes by, by the grace of God that I didn't pick up, I'm convinced that I didn't pick up this book on my, my own accord. God put it in my hands so that I could be, because all, everything inside of me up to that point really did not want to become a Christian. Um, and, uh, and, and so um, I think I'm convinced that he did the work. I really don't think that was the best answer. It's the closest I can get. Uh, it's um, it's a it's it's tough and um, as you said, Billy Graham called it what now? Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's a mystery, but I think that that if I may, yeah. that um, God's judgment and mercy is infinite, and so um, there are those that never heard the word of God, and they're held blameless. There are others that do good things and that uh, we are, we judge as good, but maybe he judges them differently. Well, I mean, it's, so ultimately it is a mystery, and maybe it's not for us to... to uh, what a mystery in terms of, like, uh, actual numbers, you know? I mean, like I said, uh, I wouldn't call myself a universalist, but I would almost hope for it. I would hope that all... Um, would come to the knowledge and acceptance of the mercy of God and Jesus Christ, but most of the world is operating in the opposite direction, unfortunately. Um, so with that... <laughs> <laughs>